Welcome to the Light Shine Church Sermon Podcast. I'm organizing pastor Rob Douglas, and I'd like to thank you for taking the time to listen to our weekly message. Well, let's open our time inside the word with prayer. Merciful God, as we enter Holy Week, turn our hearts toward Jerusalem and the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Stir up within us the gift of faith that we may not only praise him with our lips, but may follow him in the way of the cross. Amen. Well, today is the final Sunday in Lent. Jesus' entry into Jerusalem is the beginning of what Christians call the Passion Narrative or the or Holy Week, the story of suffering and the crucifixion of Jesus. Today is really a day, as we may have already gathered, of mixed emotions for followers of Jesus as Jesus approaches the great city of Jerusalem. And the question for us will be this, will the people recognize and understand who it is that has paid them this visit? And for us today, 2,000 years later, the same question applies. Will we recognize this visitation, who it is that has paid us this visit? I've shared this story before, but it just has to be told again. I have a friend that I used to work with, some of you know him, Moses Poulet, who is a Maasai warrior from Kenya and was a World Vision-sponsored child He went on to earn a PhD in systematic theology, a pretty brilliant guy. Moses is one of the greatest humans I've ever met. And the stories that he tells would make for an unbelievably entertaining movie. And this one may be my personal favorite, and it fits today perfectly. Moses was a keynote speaker at a worldwide conference on AIDS. One of the other keynote speakers at this conference was the mega superstar Irish singer and AIDS activist Bono from the band U2. Now, Maasai don't operate with the same sense of time that we typically do. In other words, Moses is always running late, and I mean always. This day was no exception. In this huge banquet hall with celebrities and world leaders, Moses had a seat saved at the front table with the other dignitaries. He arrived late and everyone was already seated. So he had to make his way through the crowd to find his table. When he finally found it, he realized that he's sitting next to this guy, that he had no idea who he was. He approached Bono to introduce himself and shake his hand. He said, hi, my name is Moses Pillay. Bono replied, Hello, my name is Bono, to which Moses replied, Bono who? And he said, it's just Bono. Moses was confused. He wondered, who is this man wearing sunglasses and a leather jacket to a black tie event with no last name? (laughs) Moses had absolutely no idea who he was sharing the stage with. Bono actually asked Moses, you don't know who I am. Moses said, no, I've never heard of you. What do you do? Bono, who was so shocked, 
that there was actually a person on the planet who had never heard of him simply said, I sing in a band. <laughs> Moses didn't have a clue that he was standing in the presence of arguably the most famous rock star in the last 40 years. The question is, would the people of Jerusalem recognize Jesus for who he really was? Or like Bono in the presence of my friend Moses, would Jesus go totally unnoticed? Luke 19, 29 to 44. When he had come near Bethphage and Bethany at the place called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of the disciples saying, go into the village ahead of you. And as you enter it, you will find there a colt that has never been ridden, untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Just say the Lord needs it. So those who were sent departed and found it as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owner said, why are you untying the colt? Which you know that they would say. They said the Lord needs it. Then they brought it to Jesus. And after throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. As he rode along, the people kept spreading their cloaks on the road. As he was now approaching the path down from the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the deeds of power that they had seen, saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. But some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, teacher, order your disciples to stop. Jesus answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the stones would shout out. As he came near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, if you, even you, had only recognized on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. Indeed, the days will come upon you and your enemies will set up ramparts around you and surround you and hem you in on every side. They will crush you to the ground, you and your children within you, and they will not leave within you one stone upon another because you did not recognize the time of your visitation from God. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So Luke has built up Jesus's journey to Jerusalem because his fate, his destiny, they were tied to this glorious city. Jesus has reached Bethany and Bethphage just two miles east of the city gates. Jesus arrived at the summit. The barren, dusty desert gave way to the lush green of Jerusalem in the height of spring. The whole Galilean ministry had been preparing Jesus's disciples for what was about to take place in Jerusalem. All throughout his journey to Jerusalem, momentum had been building among the people that Jesus just might be the Messiah liberator that they had been waiting for for hundreds of years. And by the time he reaches Jerusalem gates, we see the whole multitude of disciples meaning Jesus's 12 disciples plus a huge crowd there to celebrate his arrival, to enthrone him as a king. 
We note that despite all the warnings to the contrary, they still expected him to come into his kingdom immediately. Like my friend Moses, they still really don't understand who this Jesus is that is entering into the city. They don't know what kind of king it is that's in their presence. So with the so-called triumphal entry, Jesus is enacting a living parable in order to try to correct the misconceptions. Roman generals returning from victory were often celebrated with what's called a triumphus, this solemn procession where the victor displayed the spoils of war, often surrounded by their generals, as well as the conquered kings and even the prisoners of war that were being shipped off to a life of slavery. These, this procession would make its way through an ancient city. 300 years before Jesus entered Jerusalem, Alexander the Great had made such an entrance into this same city of Jerusalem. The Jews knew that Alexander was coming because their high priest had refused to make a political alliance with him against the Persian Empire. They awaited his arrival in terror. Luke may very well be setting Alexander the Great's entry into this holy city alongside Jesus's entry for a direct comparison. So I'm just going to highlight a few things, a few similarities, and a few differences. Alexander rode into the city of Jerusalem on a chariot. Pulled by white horses, Jesus enters Jerusalem, of course, on a donkey. Alexander, like virtually every other conqueror before and after, choose, chose the color white, the color of victory, and rode in on a chariot, the symbol of power of the empire. Jesus commandeers a lowly beast of burden, the donkey. Now Luke is clever because even in this sign of humility, there's a great irony here. By riding in on a donkey, Jesus is claiming for himself the messianic prophecy found in Zechariah 9.9. It was the stroke of genius by the writer Luke. The donkey was the perfect symbol for helping people understand that Jesus's concept of kingship was different different from all the other kings who came before him. He would not be a military king. Now, both Alexander and Jesus were welcomed into the city with shouts of praise. The Jews were so terrified of Alexander's coming that they actually devised a plan to welcome him into their city like a hero with praise and thanksgiving. And their plan actually worked. Alexander was touched by this. Jesus enters Jerusalem to people throwing down their cloaks on the road and shouting, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Alexander wore a victory crown made of fresh flowers, and Jesus would soon wear the defeated crown of thorns. Alexander rejoiced over his conquests while Jesus would weep over the city that did not recognize God's visitation. Both would go to the temple, but for very different purposes. 
Alexander would go to the temple in Jerusalem and desecrate it by offering sacrifices to foreign gods, while Jesus would go to the temple in order to cleanse it, in order to restore it to its original and divine purposes. This entry into Jerusalem is a politically charged moment. Hopes for liberation from their Roman oppressors ran high. The people are excited as their liberator king has arrived. Jesus receives a misunderstood hero's welcome. A misunderstood hero's welcome. This is why, of course, the Pharisees want to silence the disciples in the crowd. They're worried about Rome catching wind of a rival king, which we all know, of course, could never be tolerated. Empire does not tolerate rival kings. The religious professionals were walking this tightrope between outright rebellion against Rome and total compliance. They don't want to be on Rome's bad side. And like many politicians today, they're afraid of losing their own power. Jesus refused to play these political games. We've seen him marching toward Jerusalem on this journey to confront the powers of oppression, both the corrupt religious leaders and their exploitative temple practices, but also the uh, oppressive political terrorism of the Roman Empire. Jesus's response to the Pharisees could be definitely one of my favorite sentences in all of scripture. Jesus says, if these crowds were silent, the stones would shout out. We have a saying in English, dumb as rocks. <laughs> and yet here, the rocks are actually smarter than the people. They and all of creation know who this king really is. They know what he's coming to do, what he would accomplish for the world, while even the disciples remain in the dark. Blindness in the city of Jerusalem runs deep. And Jesus wept over the city's inhabitants. It's been said that Jesus's tears are at the core of the Christian gospel. These tears of Jesus's are heartfelt and compassionate tears of complete and total rejection. These final verses are called lament. And lament, we could say, is suffering turned into prayer. The Bible is no stranger to laments. To lament is to express incredible grief or sorrow, even anger sometimes. Sorrow is a large part of the human experience, and yet we often struggle to find appropriate ways to give it voice. But this last year, I think, has changed this because it's changed us. We have created more space for lament because we've come to realize just how globally connected we really are, how the whole world has been suffering together. There is 
much to lament today. This gun violence that's ripping our communities apart and that we seem to lack the political will to do anything about it. We too, like the inhabitants of Jerusalem, don't yet understand the ways that make for peace. It's sad. We have all shed tears this past year. We've all suffered loss. Just yesterday, I did a celebration of life service for an incredible young man, just 22 years of age, Gavin Wayne, who died way, way too soon. It was really, really hard. Jesus too shed tears. We shed tears. Our tears connect us not only to each other as humans, but also to the God of love who in Jesus Christ wept over a people who just could not recognize this visitation from God, who did not understand the things that make for peace. I don't know about you, but I personally can find myself in that crowd that day. It's easy with my 2020 hindsight. Uh, I know, like Jennifer said in the introduction to the confession, I don't always get it right. I don't always do the things that work for peace. I too miss many opportunities when Jesus is right in front of me, all around me. And so I know that those tears wept on that day in Jerusalem for the people of that city, there are also tears wept for me. Rome offered its famous Pax Romana or Roman political peace, but of course it was built on military might and terrorist tactics. A peace built on the foundation of violence is always a false peace. It's always one that will never last. Our feeble attempts at peace today are almost always built on the same faulty principles. We trust in the peace of armaments and the power, and we find it difficult to trust and to practice a peace that can only come from humility and self-sacrifice and love, and like Shay said, a willingness to be inconvenienced for the gospel. And the Jesus who wept over the people of Jerusalem, of course, must still be weeping today for our cities and our nations and over us who still have such a hard time getting it and understanding what kind of king it is that had come. Today is a day of incredible celebration and suffering tears. This day sets Holy Week in motion, and the events of Palm Sunday would soon lead to the death of the Lord. Palm Sunday is always a bittersweet day. 
when we celebrate without the tears, we miss the point. Jesus's way of peace was the way of rejection. It would cost him everything. And the way of the cross, it was the way of the cross. And the recipients, of course, of Jesus's peace are people like you and me, the whole world, really, freedom from ourselves, freedom from our sins, if we would only recognize the day of God's visitation and understand better the things that make for peace. May we see Jesus for who he really is and resist creating a Jesus in our own image. And may we be inspired to live by his way and to do the things that truly make for peace. Amen. Friends, we're going to spend... A